Welcome to our third sermon in our series on the songs we sing. Today's song will be What a Friend We Have in Jesus, written by Joseph Scriven, and we'll hear a little bit of his story in the message. Our text comes from John chapter 15, verses 12 through 17, where Jesus, just the night before his death, talks about his friendship with us. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer, because the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends, because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my Father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. I am giving you these commands so that you may love one another. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would be a friend to us today, of course. Lord, give us the things that you promise in your word. But Lord, also help us to be a friend to you. People who do what you commanded, people who live in love with you and those around us. And Lord, by your spirit, may we bear much fruit. Lord, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Well, there are friendships that open doors for us, aren't there? There are relationships that come with certain perks that we certainly enjoy. Perhaps our acquaintance with someone gets us to the front of the line at certain establishments. In a previous appointment, my family ate way too many meals at the local Mexican restaurant. We quickly became acquainted with the staff. On numerous nights, Melissa and I would walk into a crowded waiting room, people waiting to get a table, and we would take our place only to have Raul insist that we come on in and be seated. Uh, Maybe we have friends who get us reservations or tickets to popular events. Early in my ministry, I had a church member who owned a video rental store. It was attached to his grocery store that he also owned. He gave us free video rentals for the length of my time in that appointment. I hope that I was appropriately grateful in all of those situations for the perks. But to be honest, if we are in those relationships only for the perks, they probably don't end well, and they're certainly not healthy friendships. Well, sometimes we approach friendship with Jesus in the same transactional way. Let's be honest, there is a lot that Jesus can do for us, a lot that Jesus offers to do for us. In him, we find healing and forgiveness and ultimately eternal life. Those are all benefits worth having. I certainly hope to get all of those things out of my relationship with Christ. Even much preaching is aimed at what Jesus can do for us. The preacher encourages us to come to Jesus so that Jesus can save us, rescue us, and secure us for eternity. Quite frankly, a lot of the time, that's not enough for us. We want more. Over the last few decades, the prosperity gospel has sunk its roots deep into the American church. Name it, claim it, they say, uh, that God wants us to have all the stuff that we need plus all the stuff that we want. I actually had one church member tell me that the only reason that the martyrs were killed for Christ is that they didn't know to ask him to deliver them. She really believed that 
that Stephen and all of the other, all the apostles and all of those who've given their lives for Christ, that they would not have died for their faith if they had just been smart enough to ask for help. The movement claims that God exists, that God's purpose is to make us healthy, wealthy, and wise. It's funny, I thought that was Benjamin Franklin's idea. Those kinds of relationships tend to wash out when things go bad. If our faith is built only on the perks, it's liable to crash in the midst of disaster. If perks were the extent of Joseph Scriven's relationship with Christ, he never would have penned that beautiful hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. Just before Joseph's wedding, the love of his life drowned. If he only trusted Jesus in good times, this tragedy was an epic fail. If he was only following Jesus for the prizes, then this event was enough reason to walk away. Later in life, he fell in love again, only to have the second love of his life also die. Lots of reason for Joseph Scriven to walk away. I've seen people do it. They've told me that they tried living the Christian life and life only got harder. They believed that they had bought into a bait and switch. The preacher promised them the good life if they would only pray the prayer. You know, turn to Christ and Christ will solve your problems is the way that we present it sometimes. Well, those folks prayed, but life got harder and they walked away. They didn't need the trouble that came with it. Lots of us have had experiences that caused us to question, how could a good God let this happen? If we're only following Jesus for the perks, then in those times it's too easy to walk away. Jesus calls us friends in today's text, but it's critical for us to understand what kind of friendship it is. When faced with unbearable tragedy, Joseph Scriven leaned even more fully on his friendship with Jesus. His pain only increased his trust in his Savior. His faith led him to living a Christ-like like, attempting to embody the Sermon on the Mount. In the horrible pain of his loss, he discovered that Christ alone is enough. He found joy in serving others. He became a servant of many people that this world overlooks. He gave his life to loving people like Christ loves people, being a true friend of Jesus. And he found comfort, the kind of comfort about which he writes in What a Friend We Have in Jesus. Jesus does call us friends. In today's text, we see a two-way relationship, not one that's just about the perks. Since you're my friends, Jesus says, keep my commandment. And this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. You see, Jesus has some expectations out of us as friends. We want stuff out of him. We want our healing, our salvation, our eternity. But Jesus also has expectations of us. Jesus expects us to treat people like he treats people. As friends, he says, you will bear fruit for our God that we have a role to play in this friendship that involves bearing fruit, uh, that it involves passing on the love that we have been given so that others are embraced by that same love. It's not just about what we get. 
healing, forgiveness, and salvation, those things are great, and we want them. I want them. But we don't follow Jesus just for the perks. We're called to live in a friendship with Christ that transforms us and our world. On October 3rd, 1992, I remember it well, it was my 27th birthday, I discovered a malignant tumor in my body. That event shook me. 27 years old. I had dedicated my life to Christ. I had just finished seminary. I was serving full-time as a pastor, serving four churches at one time. I devoted my life to the gospel and to this ministry. I'd only been married a few years. I had a toddler son. Cancer is a lousy reward for all of my sacrifice. When I got that diagnosis, I, I looked at God and I said, God, what are you doing? I'm on your side. How could you let this happen to me? How could you turn on me after all I've done for you? A member of my church gave me a recording of a sermon by Gloria Copeland based on a verse from Daniel chapter 3, verse 17. I'm sure my member meant well, but here's what the verse said and what Miss Copeland said about it. The verse says, if it be so, let me give you the background. Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are about to be thrown into the fiery furnace because they refuse to worship false gods. They're talking with a king who is about to execute them. And they say to the king, if it be so, our God, who, whom we serve, is able to rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire. And he will rescue us from your hand, O king. Mrs. Copeland went on to preach a message that stressed the he will part of that verse, telling me that if my faith was strong enough, God would deliver me from this cancer, that God would heal me supernaturally if I had enough faith. Do you hear the guilt that comes behind that message? The guilt that told me when I went in for surgery that my faith wasn't enough? That if I had to rely on doctors, my faith hasn't done the job? That's the message of much of prosperity theology. According to Miss Copeland, I had failed. But Miss Copeland ignored the very next verse in that chapter. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego continue. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods, nor worship the golden statue that you have set up. My first sermon after my recovery from cancer was entitled, Even If He Does Not. What will our relationship with God be when God does not perform like we think God ought to? What a friend we have in Jesus. A friendship that's not based on perks, but on a faith that says, even if he does not, in the best of times I will follow Christ, in the worst of times I will follow Christ, even if my world is falling in on me, I will still serve him and him only. It is those kinds of friends that Jesus is seeking, and it is those kinds of friends that God invites us to be today. Amen.